on marriage. It's the fifth in a series of five, and we've been encouraging you to make five commitments. We've had some hand motions to help us remember the five commitments that we're going to make, so let's go through these together. Everybody, everybody plays. It's an all-skate. Okay? So here we go. First one is we're going to seek God. So we pray together as a couple. Uh, next, uh, we fight fair. Uh, we fight for resolution, reconciliation, not to win. That's why we smile when we put up our dukes. Uh, next, we're going to have fun. Woo, yeah. And then uh, last week, we talked about the fact that we're going to stay pure. So we're washing our hands. Today, we're going to talk about never give up. Now, this concept of never give up, I know, can be an emotional and complicated topic. And so I want to just lay a foundation for this as we start today. And the first thing I want to say is, is that if you are in an abusive relationship... Uh, I am not saying that you need to stay in a situation that is dangerous for you. In fact, if you find yourself in that situation, you need to separate. And you need to contact uh, Hope Haven of Cass County. You need to get some help. You need to work through your, get some serious counseling and get things worked out so that you can come back together. But I'm not saying that you need to stay in an abusive relationship. Uh, For many of you, you've experienced a a divorce at some point in your past, and I don't want you to feel a lot of guilt today. This message is not about guilt. This message is about grace. And so maybe you did all that you could to keep that marriage together. The other person would not participate, wouldn't work with you, and it ended in divorce, and you are devastated. I understand that. Or maybe you might even say that I am not the person now that I was back then. And I did some things back then that were wrong. And if I had it to do over again, I would do things far differently. But I can't go back. And so you carry that burden. You carry that load. I understand that. But today, I'm not dwelling on the past. In fact, today, I wanna, we can't go back and change the past. But from this day forward, this is a forward-looking message. And what, no matter what happened in the past in your marriage... From this day forward, we're going to never give up. Now, I want to start by looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 19. It's a very interesting conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus in regards to the topic of divorce and marriage. It says some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. And they asked the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, unfortunately, at this time and in this culture, women had very few rights. Uh, A man could just say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and the woman was out of the house. Uh, And she had no protection, she had no status, she had no station in life. I mean, divorce was very easy, it was very common in that culture. And so the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus by saying, well, what do you think about this, Jesus? And Jesus shocks everybody who heard his words because he doesn't just raise the standard a little bit. He doesn't just raise the standard a lot. He doesn't raise the standard a whole lot. He raises the standard all the way to the top. Haven't you read, he replied, and then he quotes Genesis, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife for the two will become say it out loud with me one flesh so they are no longer two but what are they now one 
Yeah, the two are now one flesh, united before God. He said, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Jesus is saying it's like if you took two pieces of paper, if you take a husband and a wife, two pieces of paper, got a a red one here and a green one, and you, you glue them together all over. I mean, these two pieces of paper are stuck together to the point that they are no longer two pieces of paper. Now they are what? One. Yes. And if I were to try and separate these two pieces of paper at this point, what would happen? It would destroy both of them. It would rip them to shreds. There'd be paper going everywhere. Now, that's why divorce hurts so much. That's why it is so devastating, because divorce rips your life apart. Those of you who've been divorced, you know the pain. Those of you who saw your parents go through a divorce, you know the pain. Divorce is incredibly painful. Now, the problem in our culture today is that people think that marriage is an agreement. Marriage is like a contract between two people. But marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. Let's say this phrase out loud together. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Now, what does a contract do? Well, what's the difference between a covenant and a contract? Well, a contract is based on mutual distrust. Okay? A contract limits my responsibility and protects my rights. It limits my responsibility and it protects my rights. And many people enter into marriage thinking, I'm going to limit my responsibility and I'm going to protect my rights. But that's a contract. You know, if I owned rental property and I wanted to rent it uh, to someone, we would both want to sign a contract. Why? Because we don't trust each other. I don't trust them, they don't trust me. And a contract basically says that if you don't do what you agreed to, then I can evict you. And if as a landlord I don't do what I agreed to, you can bring judgment against me. You know, a contract says that I trust you only as far as you perform. And if you don't live up to my expectations, then I'm out of here. And you trust me the same way. You know, if I don't live up to your expectations, you're out of here. And that's how many people in our day approach marriage. It's a contract. As long as you make me happy, as long as you meet my needs, as long as I don't get tired of this or find somebody better, then I'll stick with this. But if you don't hold up your end of the deal, I'm out of here. A contract is designed to give each of the parties an out. But marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. And a covenant is based on mutual commitment. A covenant is a permanent relationship. There's no out, no loopholes, no exit. God makes covenants with his people that are permanent. You know, the Hebrew word for covenant is the word berith. And it means a cutting. And in the Old Testament, people made contracts, but people also made covenants. And when they made a covenant... They would take a bull and they would cut him in half and they would lay the two halves of the carcass down and then the two people who were making the covenant would hold hands and they would walk through the carcass. And they would do that seven times in order to create a covenant. And basically what they were saying is, is if I break this covenant, 
you can do to me what we just did to this bull. That's how serious a covenant is. Now, in the Old Testament, the way people would often get married is they would stand before a representative of God and he would take the hand of the groom and he would take a sharp edge and he would draw it across the hand until there was blood. He'd take the hand of the bride, draw it across her hand until there was blood. And then he would take their two hands and press them together. Because in Leviticus, it says, the life of the person is in the blood. And they would literally mingle blood with blood, life with life. And they would tie the hands together with a cord to symbolize they're no longer two, they are one. They were joined together. The two have become one flesh. And what God has joined together, man is not supposed to separate. Now, in our day, we don't do that. And I am glad because I would pass out at weddings. Okay? We don't do that in our day. Instead, we stand before God, we stand before a a pastor or priest, we stand before a company of witnesses, and we exchange vows. And and the, the, the pastor says, Kelly, do you take Katie to be your wife, to have and to hold from this day forward? For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, forsaking all others... Be faithful to her as long as she makes you happy. As long as she fulfills her part of the deal. As long as nobody better comes along. Is that what we say? No, we don't say that. We say as long as we both shall live. No out, no loopholes, no exits. There's no end date on a covenant contracts, there's an end date. You know, you rent this house for me from a year, and at the end of the year, we can renew the contract, but at the end of the year, the contract's up for discussion, up for negotiation. Covenant, no. A covenant is until death do us part. That's why we never give up, because you can't un-one what God has made one. Now, what happens What happens when marriage becomes difficult? What happens when marriage becomes painful? Now, for many of you, when I say never give up, you think, oh, great. God wants me stuck in a miserable marriage for the rest of my life. I mean, I would be so much happier if I got a divorce, but God wants me trapped in this crappy marriage forever. That is not what God has in store for you. That is not what God wants for your marriage. God wants your marriage to be pleasing, to be pleasant, to be exciting, to be fun. The fact that your marriage is painful is not God's doing. It's because the two of you are not following God's plan for marriage. Because if, as a couple, you will seek God, you will fight fair, you will have fun, and you will stay pure, guess what? Then you'll have no problem with never give up. I'm 57 years old. I've been a believer, a pastor for 20 years. I've been a believer for 38. I've been paying attention since I was three. Okay? 57 years, 54 years, I've been looking around. Never in my life, never in my life have I seen a couple who will do the first four things in this series Never have I seen a couple who did those four things get a divorce. I have never seen a couple who did those four things be unhappy in their marriage. 
Never. The couples who do those four things have great marriages. That's the whole point of this series. And if you're not doing these four things, you need to do them. Or one day your marriage is going to run out of steam. You're going to run into trouble because you're not doing your marriage according to the way that God has designed marriage to operate. Now, you can do marriage your way, but not for long. And then you start to say, you know, I'm just not happy here. I I don't trust him. Uh, She's not doing this. She's not doing that. I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. But to get divorced because you're out of love... That's like selling your car because it ran out of gas. To get divorced because you're out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. You don't sell your car. You just put more gas in the car. And honestly, over the course of marriage, you've been married 38 years, there are times when you're going to say, you know, I just don't, don't like this anymore. I don't know if I got any more forgiveness. I don't know if I have any more grace. I've done everything I can do. What do you do when your marriage runs out of love? You seek the God who is love. The Bible doesn't say that God loves. The Bible doesn't say that that God has love. The Bible says God is love. Love's not something that God does. Love is something that God is. And therefore, you let God's love flow through you. You let God's forgiveness flow through you. You If you're a believer... If you're a believer, you can't say, I love God, but I hate my husband. I I love God, but I hate my wife. Can't do that. The Bible says that that if you're a believer, you can't say that you love God, but hate your brother or sister. If you truly love God, then you will seek him, and you will let his love, his grace, his love flow through you. You know, we stay married not on the basis of our strength. We stay married on the strength of of God. That's why it's a God-based covenant. Now, what do you do when you're trying to make it work, but, but you're just not getting anywhere? What do you do? Well, you follow the principles of sowing and reaping in marriage. And for those of you who aren't married yet, this is great foundational teaching for your life. You need to follow the principles of sowing and reaping, even as you're preparing for marriage. Uh, they're found in Galatians 6. 7 through 9, it says, Do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. That's why it's so crucial in our marriage that we seek to stay pure. Because if we're sowing to please our sinful nature, we're going to reap destruction. It goes on to say, The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap what? eternal life eternal life now when you see that phrase in scripture you need to understand that it is not just talking about duration it is not just talking about life that lasts forever eternal life doesn't speak just of duration it also speaks of quality of life eternal life has a higher quality to it than than just regular life And in this context, the same thing is true of your marriage. The the goal is not just that you endure your marriage until death puts you out of your misery. You know, it's not that just one day one of you standing in front of the casket going, Yay! We made it! 
you know, it's not that death frees you from a bad marriage. No, it's that you enjoy a high-quality marriage until death do you part. It is a quality of marriage. Now, verse 9, uh, for some of you, uh, this is a verse you've got to hang on to. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Listen, too many couples give up too soon. They quit when the marriage gets hard. And folks, every marriage gets hard. Listen, when you, when you say the wedding vows, uh, half of what you are committing to stinks. 50% of the marriage vows are, are uh, we're going to be sick, we're going to be poor, it's going to be worse than we ever imagined. Okay? But babe, I'm with you. I'm signing on. You know, you, know, you don't give up before you reach the harvest. You persevere until the proper time. Now, there are two principles about sowing and reaping that you need to keep in mind. The first one is, is you reap what you sow. If I put an apple seed in the ground over there, am I going to grow an orange tree? No. If I plant an apple seed, I grow an apple tree. I reap what I sow. Same is true in your marriage. If I sow spiritual seeds by seeking God with my spouse, if I sow seeds of reconciliation and resolution by fighting fair, if I sow seeds of fun... If I sow seeds of purity into my marriage, then I will reap a great marriage. But if I neglect those areas, or worse, if I sow the opposite, then I'm going to reap the pain, the despair, the destruction of a bad, maybe even a failed marriage. You reap what you sow in your marriage. And if you sow grace, compassion, and forgiveness, what what are you likely to receive back? Grace, compassion, and forgiveness. Now, if you're always complaining and comparing and criticizing, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to get back defensiveness, anger, and self-justification. The harvest depends on the seeds that you plant. Now, men... You need to remember that women are multipliers. Women, just by the way they are created, they are multipliers. Whatever you give them, they multiply it. I mean, you give them your bachelor pad, and they'll come into that dump, and and all of a sudden it'll be clean, everything will match and smell good. Because they're multipliers. You you give a woman groceries. You know, you're there, you're trying to fix a spam dinner, and and, and the woman comes in, and she makes a meal that's better than anything you ever deserved because they're multipliers. You know, you give a woman flowers and attention and affection and face-to-face time and tenderness, uh, they're going to give you some belly button to belly button fun (laughs) because they're multipliers. And, And guys, you know, you give your wife your physical love, she'll give you kids. She'll give you six kids because they're multipliers. They multiply, okay? But guys, listen. You give them a hard time and they'll give you hell, okay? Because they are multipliers, okay? Now, the bottom line here, husbands and wives, if you don't like what you're getting, you need to look at what you're giving, you don't like what you're reaping, you need to look at what you're sowing. 
Now, what do you do when your spouse points out an area of dissatisfaction? What do you do when he or she brings to your attention an attitude or an action that they would like for you to change? Often, this is especially true for guys, often the response is to get defensive. We defend our behavior. You know, when your spouse points out something that they wanted you to change, have you ever said, nobody's perfect? Okay? Nobody's perfect is a defensive statement. But let me tell you something. That, that, that is ineffective because we know you're not perfect. Your spouse knows you are not perfect. Nobody is expecting you to be perfect. Nobody's expecting you to be perfect. But listen, guys, all she wants is for you to treat her as nice as you treat everybody else. That's all she's asking. She just wants you to be as nice to her as you are to the people at work, the people at church, the people in your small group. She just wants you to be at least as nice to her as you are to strangers. Okay? Ladies, all he wants, he is not expecting you to be perfect. He just wants you to show him the same courtesy, the same respect that you show everybody else, that you show to the people at work or the people at at school or wherever. Too many spouses treat everybody else better than they treat their spouse. It's like it's this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. You know, at work and everybody else, they're friendly, they're fun, they're courteous, they're the life of the party with everybody else. And then when they get home, they treat their spouse and kids like dirt. They're grouchy, they're grumpy, they're hot-tempered. You know, it, it It does not make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to treat everyone else better than you treat your spouse. If that's what you're sowing into your marriage, then guess what you're going to reap, okay? If you don't like what you're getting, then look at what you've been giving because you reap what you sow. Second principle, you reap where you sow. If I plant a seed over there, am I going to grow something over here? No, because you reap where you sow. If I plant all my energy, effort, and passion into my hobby, is that going to make my marriage better? No. I mean, I'll get better at golf or hunting or knitting or gardening, but it's not going to help my marriage. If I put all my energy into my kids, if we become child-centered parents, is that going to help my marriage? No. And the truth is, it's not going to help your kids. Study after study has shown that the best thing you can do for a kid is have a great marriage. If I put all my energy, all my effort into my career, is that going to help my marriage? No, it's not. And honestly, that's where some of you are right now. I mean, why aren't things going great in your marriage? Because you haven't been seeking God. You haven't been fighting fair. You haven't been having fun. You haven't been staying pure. And now you feel like giving up. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. And you must guard those priorities. If anything else moves into the number two slot... Your marriage is not going to be what God wants it to be. And the rest of your life is going to be out of whack as well. The truth is, people who who, who can't make marriage work can't make most of the rest of life work either. Because it's just so foundational. And nothing 
or no one else can be in the number one slot other than God. And nothing or no one else can be in the number two slot other than your spouse. Not your job, not your kids, not you. Write this down. Just scroll it down somewhere on your outline. Our marriage is as good as we decide it will be. Our marriage is as good as we decide it will be. And circle the words we and decide. Because every marriage takes place in a sin-filled world between two broken people. But we get to decide to seek God. We get to decide whether we're going to fight fair. We get to decide to have fun. We have to decide to stay pure. And we have to decide to never give up. It is our choice. We decide. And it takes the two of us working together. Now, I know some of you are saying, you know, I'm trying my best, but he's not. I'm trying my best, but, but she's not. And I'll acknowledge with with you that it takes two. It's going to take two. And some of you right now need to let God speak into your life. You you, you need God to remind you that you are one with your spouse. And and you can't un-one what God has made one without it destroying both of you. You need to let let God just speak into your life. And and you you need to decide what kind of marriage are you going to have. Are you going to have a bad one or are you going to have a great one? I mean, your marriage will be as good as you decide it will be. Now, some of you, you're saying, you know, Pastor, I mean, I hear you, but it's just blah, blah, blah to me. I mean, I I don't feel like being nice. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't feel like showing grace. I don't feel like praying with them. I don't even feel like praying for them. I, I don't feel like working on it. And I'm just not going to. What other significant area of your life can you get away with that? What other significant area can you make that kind of a decision and not suffer the consequences? I mean, you know, I don't feel like working this year. I mean, I'm tired of working, so I'm just not going to work this year. Well, you don't work, you don't eat. There are consequences. I don't feel like taking care of my kids anymore. I'm tired of this baby crying all the time. I'm tired of these kids whining and needing me. I don't want to be a parent anymore. Well, what do you do? Well, you know, you overcome those feelings and you be the parent. I don't feel like paying taxes anymore. I'm sick of taxes. I don't want to pay taxes anymore. Well, how's that going to work for you? You know, what do you do? In every significant area of your life, you get over your feelings and you do what's right. You get over your feelings and by the power of God, you do what's right. Now, when I say I'm not giving up, I'm not saying, you know, we're just going to have a bad marriage until one of us drops dead. You know, we're just going to stay married and it's going to be horrible because, you know, that's what Pastor Kelly said we have to do. That is not what I'm saying. You know, what I'm saying is, is we never give up on pursuing a God-honoring, God-blessed, great marriage. We never give up on pursuing the kind of marriage that God wants us to have. 
And if we never give up on that pursuit, Scripture says that if we don't grow weary in doing good, at a proper time, we will reap a harvest. And and I just want to encourage you, wherever you're at in your marriage, to, to just imagine, what could your harvest be like? What could the harvest be like if you seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure, and never give up? You continue to make God your one and your spouse your two. What could your harvest be like? You know, if you forgive when you've been hurt and you confess sin when you're wrong and you work through your issues, you know... I mean, seriously, we all come into marriage wounded and broken. We've got our hurts, habits, and hang-ups that we have to work through. That's part of the commitment that we make to each other, is that we're going to be there for each other as we work through those hard issues. And so you may need to get into counseling. You may need to become a student of marriage. You may need to become a student of your spouse and their issues, a student of yourself, and work through your hurts. You know, you may feel like you're taking you know, three steps forward and two steps back. But what if, what if you put as much energy into your marriage as you put into your career? What if you spent as much for counseling as you spend for cable and internet every month? I mean, where's your priority? Why why would you do that? Because this isn't a contract or an agreement with a loophole and an exit. This is a covenant before a holy God. Your marriage needs to be a priority in your life. It's not something you throw away because it gets harder. It's just, it it hurts too much to deal with it. And if you made that kind of a commitment, if you made a commitment to these five things, what could happen? You could have a testimony. You could have a spiritual legacy. You could say, you know, our marriage used to be bad, but now it's great. You could say, you you wouldn't believe how unfaithful I was, but God has changed me, and now I'm a man or woman of God. You wouldn't believe how neglectful I was of our marriage, but now we have a great marriage. You wouldn't believe how hurt and and, and healthy I was, but God has healed me and made me whole, and, and, and great things are happening in my life. You wouldn't believe how our kids look at us, and our kids say, Mom and Dad have integrity before God. Mom and Dad made it through the hard times, and they kept their word. You could have a spiritual legacy. If you seek God, fight fair, have fun, and stay pure. Now, folks, I never said these four things were easy. In fact, they may be some of the hardest things that you have ever done in your life. But they're worth it. Because you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for speaking life and hope into those who are hurting. And I know, God, there are some people here today who just feel like it's just an impossible situation. And I pray that you would just build their faith. I pray that you would do miracles in their marriage. That there would be forgiveness and healing. And you're here today, and some of you are married, and others of you, you're not married, but one day will be. But I'd like all of us to think about our marriage not as a contract, but as a covenant. And just say, God, I really want to see this as something that I do with you. 
that we will honor God with the relationship that he's given us. We're not in a contractual agreement with loopholes and exit. We're, we're making a covenant with a holy God until death us do part. And God, I just thank you for those who are here today who aren't married, who are making foundational decisions for their future marriage. And God, I thank you for those who are here who have a good marriage, and I just pray that you would help them to have a great marriage, that it would get even better. And I especially pray for those who are hurting and hanging on by a thread. God, I I would pray that you would do through them what they cannot do themselves. That you would love through them, that you would forgive through them, that you would persevere through them. Bring restoration and reconciliation, even when it seems impossible. God, help us to plant the right seeds in our marriages and to trust you for the harvest at the proper time. God, we make a commitment to never give up because you never give up on us. You are a covenant-keeping God, and you never give up on us. If you're here today, I, I just invite you just to call on Christ to invite him to forgive your sins, to bind up your wounds, to break the bondage of your bad habits, to heal your hurts, to help you do the things you need to do, to have a great, great marriage. If you're here with your spouse today, I'd invite you just to reach over, take their hand, just hold it up. If you're here by yourself today, would you just hold up your hand? And would you say with me, from this day forward, we will never give up. Let's say that together. From this day forward, we will never give up. One more time. From this day forward, we will never give up. God, we thank you for the hope of harvest. In Jesus' name.